And uh, I want to jump, jump into the message for today. Uh, like Elijah said, the holiday season is upon us. It's here. And I especially know it's here because my wife threatened me last night. She said, uh, I, you can hang the lights tonight or you can hang the lights tomorrow night, but sir, you're hanging the lights. And I said, okay. So we, uh, we got the tree up last night. I got to do the lights tonight, I guess. And, uh, you know, every holiday season uh, gets me reflecting on my childhood. And, you know, as an adult, it's less about the gifts, although the gifts are nice. It's less about the gifts, more about the people, right? I mean, we care about who we're with and how that goes. And, uh, you know, but the kids, the kids, they care about the gifts. I mean, they may be more about the gifts than about the people. And I remember when I was a kid, you know, I had my list. Uh, it was a long list. I had a long list. And, and it, you know, I'd go on uh, all the commercials and just watch and go on Toys R Us and look. And, and I had to compile my list. And uh, I wanted everything on my list. But, but, you know, there was always that one thing on the list. You know what I'm talking about? Just reflect back on your childhood. I know it was a little while ago, but do you remember that one thing on the list? Like if your parents got that one thing, then like it didn't matter if they didn't get the rest because, hey, guys, you got the one thing. Like good job. You succeeded as parents this year. Uh, Or if they didn't get the one thing. I mean, heaven forbid, they didn't get the one thing. It didn't matter if they got everything else on the list. If they didn't get that, I mean, how could you miss that? You know, like, oh, I, I talked about it. I wrote about it. I sent Santa a letter about it. How could you miss that one thing? And I thought it would go away, you know, when I wasn't a kid, but I've always had a one thing. I've always had one thing. When my preteens, it was my Xbox. I remember when I got my Xbox. I remember my first Xbox game. It was Madden 2001. And uh, yes, I was a preteen in 2001. Don't ask me questions about it. But it was Madden 2001, and uh, I just broke the stand, but I'll stop standing on it. Um, it was Madden 2001. Marshall Falk was on the cover for the St. Louis Rams. I know it's, it's bitter to me as well that they're gone, but Marshall Falk, he was my hero uh, you know, Marshall Falk, Terry Holt, Isaac Bruce, greatest show on turf. Uh, that was like my era. And uh, Marshall Falk was on the cover, and I remember I opened the game, and you could like jack up all your players. So I got all my players on steroids, and the St. Louis Rams won every Super Bowl I ever played on Madden. And I got a little bit older, and then it was basketball, and I realized I was terrible, so that was a quick fad. And then, uh, and then it was baseball. I got a pitchback. You know the pitchback? It's a net that you throw the ball into it, and it throws it back. Uh, it's, if you have a young boy who loves to play baseball, get him a pitch back. And, uh, you know, you throw it high, it throws you a grounder, you throw it low, it throws you a pop fly. So three or four hours a night, I just played my pitch. I just loved baseball. And then it was uh, girls. And then it was working out because I realized I couldn't get a girl. And so I was like, maybe if I hit the gym, I'll get a girl. And, uh, you know, twice a day, all the supplements, pre-workout, post-workout, pre-bed, wake up, all the stuff. And uh, still struggled, but, you know, whatever. And, uh, and I'd say in this season of life, it's probably my daughter. Uh, my iPhone, I feel like I'm on dial-up internet again. I mean, it's so slow. And it's because I have like 3,000 photos, you know, a bajillion videos. And because we're just constantly like, oh, she's so sweet. She's so sweet. She's, she's literally just walking with a towel on the head the other day. And we're like 20 videos, you know. And so it's probably my daughter in this season. But, it, you know, there's always been something that I think about, I talk about, I dream about, I obsess about. There's always been like something that's the thing in my Life, the thing I'm identifying the most with, the thing I'm chasing after. We all have it. All of us have something in our life. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's your kids too. Maybe it's you're adoring your kids or maybe it's you're staying up late worrying about your kids. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's you're in school right now and you're you're just like, I can't wait until I finally have the career. Or you already have the career and you're just trying to climb the ladder and if I just get that next promotion, if I just get that next level of status or pay or whatever it is. Maybe it's your image. You obsess about the clothes you wear, your hair, the the way your body looks or doesn't look. We all have something. Every single one of us, we have 
something. And it's important that we know what that thing is. It's incredibly important. Uh, John Calvin, theologian and pastor in the 16th century, said the human heart is an idol factory. He said every single one of our hearts, they're, they're, they're producing idols. They're producing something to worship because we were created to worship. It's not a bad thing that we were created to worship. It's not a bad thing that we were created to have something that our hearts are going after, something that we're adoring and loving and giving ourselves to. But, but we, we have it, every single one of us. And he says, our hearts are idol factories. They're constantly looking for something to attach that worship to. Uh, Tim Keller, pastor in New York City, expands on Calvin's theory. And he says, the human heart is an idol factory that takes good things like a successful career, love, material possessions, even family, and turns them into ultimate things. Our hearts defy them as the center of our lives because we think that they will give us significance and security safety and fulfillment if we attain them. We take things in life and instead of putting God in the number one place, we put these other things in life, even good things, like family and career. And, and, we, and we just slowly but surely begin to uh, demote God and promote these things to the number one place in our hearts. King David, he knew this reality. Uh, King David, you know, he's, he's marked as the man after God's own heart. That's, uh, you know, one part of the story, the man after God's own heart, the man who loves God and adores God more than anyone else in the world. Next page of the story, he's a man who's taking a woman, sleeping with her, who, she has a husband, and then killing her husband to cover it up. How does that happen? What well, happens because of this reality that our hearts long for something to adore and to attach our affections to and to give all of our lives to. David realized something that's important for us to realize. He realized that it's not a matter of if we worship one thing. It's not a matter of if we have one thing. It's a matter of what our one thing will be. And so David teaches us in Psalm 27.4 to direct our affections. He teaches us in Psalm 27.4, which is where we're going to be today, to not just passively sit back and let our affections go wherever they will, but to direct our affections to God and God alone. If you have a Bible, uh, if you want to turn there with me, like I said, we're in Psalm 27.4. If you don't have a Bible, it's on the screen for you. Also, if you'd like to have a Bible, you don't have one, there's a black Bible in the chair in front of you. We'd, we'd love to send you home with that today. Psalm 27.4. I'm going to read it for us. Just give you a moment to get there. Psalm 27, 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I'm going to read it one more time. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his his temple. I want you to think on your prayer life, on what you're asking God for. You know, we just finished this series on the Lord's Prayer, and I'm sure there's a lot of things we ask God for. We ask God for finances and health and kids and safety and security. We ask God for all these things, and David is able to take stock of his life, to look on all of his prayers and say, God, yeah, I've asked you for all of those things, but God, the one thing I've always asked you for, the one thing that I'm asking you for now, the thing I'm going to ask you for tomorrow and the next day and the next day is this one thing, that my one thing would be you. That, 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 and, and not only am I asking you for it, but I'm seeking after it. I'm resolving in my heart, God, that my one thing will be you. I want to ask you the question this morning, what is your one thing? Have you, like David, 
considered your life, considered everything in your life, the good, the bad, the ugly? Have you considered your, your, your career, your kids, your family, your reputation, your image, all of it? And consider the claims of Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God who came to give his life for you and to give you life and life abundantly. Have you considered who he is and what he claims to be able to do in your life and, and laid everything else down to make him the one thing? And not just kind of like the Christian, yeah, yeah, I've done that. Let's get on with, you know, buying gifts and hams and everything else. No, no, but like the real, like I've considered it all and I've laid it all aside or I've at least put it in second place to this one thing of loving him and giving my life totally to him. And maybe there was a point in your life where you did that and now your Christianity or your walk with Christ has become somewhat secondary. It's become somewhat of a back burner thing among or amidst the rest of the stressors and the pressures of life. And I'm not here to condemn you because, you know what, even if I was here to condemn you, you know, Romans 8.1 says that there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So even if I was up here like, come on, you stink, it wouldn't matter, right? Because Christ doesn't condemn you, so who cares what I think? But that, I'm not here to do that because, you know, I fall short of this all the time. I'm here to invite us in. I'm here to invite us up into a deeper level with him, into a, a deeper place of knowing and loving and delighting in him. And so David makes this prayer and he makes this confession. He says, God, I'm asking that you'd be my one thing and I'm seeking after it with all my heart that you'd be my one thing. But he doesn't just say, God, that you would be. He, he specifies in three different ways. He says, God, I want to be with you. God, I want to see you. And God, I want to inquire in your temple or I want to hear your voice. And I just want to unpack those three things for the next 20 minutes. But before I do, let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for our brothers and sisters in this room. I thank you that you love them, that you've chosen them, that you've brought us all here today to hear your word and to be lifted up, to be lifted up into a greater understanding of Jesus Christ, to be lifted up into just a greater level of knowing and walking in your presence, to be lifted up to abundant joy and abundant life. God, I pray would uh, your words become words of life in our hearts this morning. Would you help us to lay aside every distraction, every pressure, every stress? Would you help us in the chaos of this season to make you the one thing in our lives, the one that we adore, the one that we love, the one that has our greatest affections and our greatest energies? Father God, I pray, would you open the eyes of our heart to see the beauty of your Son, to behold how glorious and wonderful and beautiful he is, and to walk every day in step with his Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let you know on a little insight about David. David's the same as you and me. King David, warrior King David, he's the same as you and I. And you know what? You and I, we're the same as each other. We all have this common desire among us that we all want to be happy. You do. I do. We want to be happy. We want a good life. We want a comfortable life. We want joy. We want pleasure. The only difference between us is where we turn to find it. And, you know, we drive ourselves mad trying to be happy. That's what Black Friday, all that chaos, that's just trying to be happy. David says, you know what? I found where it's at, and I'll tell you. Psalm 1611, he says, in your presence there's fullness of joy 
At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. At your, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Joy is uh, gladness or delight. So a joy-filled happiness or cheerfulness. Uh, if you think about joy, think about Will Ferrell on Elf, you know? Uh, that, that man has like an unshakable happiness. Uh, problem is it's founded on the Christmas spirit and not on Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and you know what? Joy is actually better than happiness. Joy is deeper than happiness. It's more full than happiness. Joy is independent of unfavorable circumstances. So it doesn't matter what life throws at you. If you have joy in God, this cheerfulness, this delight, this gladness, it doesn't matter what life throws at you because you have this unshakable Joy, but David doesn't just say there's joy in God's presence. He says there's fullness of joy. Uh, this word fullness, it's a Greek word. Sorry, it's a Hebrew word called soba. Uh, it means to be satisfied to the full. It's really timely because we just had Thanksgiving. So I want you to imagine uh, after your third plate on Thursday, you know, when you're sitting in front of the TV, jaw dropped, just drooling, like, oh, that feels good. Stretchy pants on. That's how your soul feels when you get in the presence of God. Full, satisfied, delighted. Couldn't be any better than this. Get the soul stretchy pants on. That's what I'm saying today. So if you're not picking that up, that's what I'm saying. In God's presence, there's fullness of joy. But wait, it doesn't stop there. He says, God, at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. You want pleasure, right? I want pleasure in life. Pleasure is the experience of joy, especially through our senses. David says, God, there's all these ways in life I could seek pleasure, but you're the one who has it. Where are you looking for pleasure in life? Who are you turning to for pleasure in your life? David says it's at God's right hand. It's when we get close to God and we come near to God, he says, here's some pleasure. Enjoy that. Enjoy that. Here you go. Have some more of me. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Charles Spurgeon, pastor and theologian in the 1850s, said this, is the, said this of the pursuit of God's presence. He says, this is the right target for our desires. This, the well into which to dip our buckets. This is the door to knock at the bank to draw upon. Out of everything we could pursue in life, this is the only thing that's worth it, pursuing the presence of God. Let me ask you, honest evaluation here, like I said, no condemnation. At the end of a busy week, when you are emotionally exhausted, physically exhausted, mentally exhausted, do you think first of Netflix or first of Jesus? Often for me, it's Netflix. And I'm reading this passage this week, praying this passage this week, saying, God, would you show me a delight in your presence? Would you show me what David's talking about? To where I don't think of my Bible as the thing that I just do every morning. And I don't think of praying in church as just kind of things that I do, but I think of them as the most pleasurable, delightful things I could possibly spend my time doing. To where when I'm like, oh, I just need a break, I think of running to you and not think of just going brain dead in front of a TV. I enjoy TV, don't get me wrong, I'm not dogging TV. I'm just saying, how do we view him? How do we view walking with him, knowing him in his word? And if it isn't what the scriptures talk about, is the problem the scriptures or is the problem us? I mean, is this book lying to us? Is it not true that in his presence there is fullness of joy? I mean, how many of us honestly are like longing for more joy in our lives? Uh, I mean, if the stats prove true, Americans, two out of three Americans say they're not even happy. Not only do they not have joy, they're not even happy. 
I would imagine some of us are depressed, some of us are tired, some of us feel exhausted, some of us feel like life is just stacking up over us. There's a promise here that if we come to him, there's fullness of joy and at his right hand, pleasures forevermore. Let's go to it. Let's enjoy it. When you get a day off, what do you think about? And you moms, I know you moms, you're like, day off? That sounds nice. I don't know what I'd think about because I'll never get one. It's been 10 years. Well, just imagine you had one. I'm giving you one right now, a day off. I can't cash that check. I'm sorry. But, but you get what I'm saying. Where would you go? Got, I got any beach people in the room? Beach people? Come on. It's pretty good. Mountain people? You're either a beach or a mountain person, so you got to have a hand up somewhere. Other? Do I got any others? Beach, mountain, other? Okay, okay. I don't know what it is, but okay. I like a beach too. I really do. I love the beach. My wife and I, we honeymoon at, on a, uh, by a mountain, but I think we're becoming uh, beach people. Uh, but check this out. Psalm 8410. David says, better is one day in your courts, God, than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper, a deekeeper, not a beekeeper, a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. That's a crazy statement. I mean, David, he's the king over all Israel, right? He's, he's got some Benjamins. He can do what he wants. He could, like, own Southwest Airlines. He could buy an island. He says, I'll, I could go anywhere, God. And I'd rather spend one day just standing in your courtyard, just around your presence, than a thousand anywhere else. I mean, think about that. A thousand days anywhere on earth you could go, with or without your kids, or one day just in the courtyard of God. And he says, I'll take the courtyard of God every single time. He goes on, though. He says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. So I'd be the guy, I'd rather be the guy, God, just standing at your door, not even in the house, just standing at your door, letting, letting other people in, just being the servant in your house than, than spending my days in the tents of the wicked. When you think of tents of the wicked, don't think of, like, pitching a tent in the woods, because I know some of you are already like, I don't want to spend a day in the woods either. I'd be with David at God's front door. I'd better be close to a house than in the woods. But that's not what David's talking about. David's, I mean, I want you to think like MTV Cribs. You know, there's all these psalms about, God, why do the wicked prosper? David's talking about, I could, I could spend my day in like the most amazing, luxurious palace, mansion, Oprah's house, fill in the blank. You know, flat screen TVs everywhere. Got the movie room, the popcorn maker, the indoor pool, tennis courts. I've thought about this a little bit, you know. And he says, I'd rather spend one day just at your front door than anywhere else in the world. Why? Because being with God is so, 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 so good. And sometimes we diminish being in God's presence, not because it's not that good, but because we haven't experienced how good it really is. And I'm inviting us in this morning to say, church, let's take a step deeper. Let's come in further because it is so, so, so good. I want to taste what David talks about, and I want you to taste it too. And Jesus, he, he paid the price for us to have this. I mean, the Son of God came out of heaven, put on flesh, became a man, walked this earth, lived among just all of our sin, all of our rebellion. He went to the cross, died on the cross, paid the penalty for our sin so that you and I wouldn't have to be punished for our sin. He, he rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and sent His Spirit down to be with us so that we could walk with Him and know Him until the day that He returned. Ephesians chapter 2 says, He seated us with Him in heavenly places. We have a seat at his table now. It's just a matter of if we go and sit at the table or not. 
Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without price and without money. As we were worshiping earlier, I felt like the Lord said, there's people digging around in garbage cans for breadcrumbs. There's people digging around in garbage cans for breadcrumbs. But God has given us a seat at his table. We can have wine and milk and honey, all the sweetest, most delightful things you could imagine in the presence of God at his table. Verse verse 2, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, says the Lord, and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. There's rich food for us, church. It's simply a matter if we come and get it. And he's invited us in and I'm inviting us in this morning. What if this December wasn't just the chaos of shopping and hams and in-laws and everything else? What if this December was marked for you by you having a personal revival of your relationship with Jesus Christ? What if this December was a month where you drew near to him and you knew him more and you saw more of his beauty and you heard more of his voice than you have in quite a long time or maybe ever? It can be that. It's simply a matter of us stepping in and seeking his face. As a matter of fact, David doesn't even stop with being in God's presence. He said he wants to see God. He says, can I gaze on your beauty? Notice that whatever you spend a long time looking at in life, your heart runs after it. I'll say it again. Whatever you spend a long time looking at in life, our hearts run after it. Matter of fact, if you look at something long enough, you, you may not even be able to resist the urge to run after it. That's why window shopping is so dangerous. Or just like playing around on Amazon. It's so dangerous because, you know, it's like you plan around and then you put it in the cart and then, oh, I'll buy it. And then you got all this stuff. You, you didn't have money to buy in the first place. You know that. Or, you, you know, you go window shopping and then you, oh, I'll just try it on. You try it on. It's like, ooh, I'm going to keep this. And you're done. Game over. That's why you should never walk down the sweets aisle ever. That's why you should never drive by the donut shop ever because it's just game over. That's why when... Uh, you got somebody in the passenger seat, and they're like, hey, look at that. Don't look, because you're going to go after it. That's why uh, one day I was walking out of J-Kids. I was teaching in J-Kids, oh, probably seven years, seven years ago now. and uh, Not 70, I'm not 70, but it was seven years ago now. And uh, I was walking out, and the ushers hadn't shut these doors yet, those ushers, I tell you. They hadn't shut these doors yet, and Rebecca's standing over here in her yellow sweater, hands up, worshiping God. And I saw her, it was game over. I was like, I'm marrying that woman. I can say that now because I married her, guys. Some of you don't know me, and you were like, what? Checking out girls in church? Can't do that. Whatever you look at, your heart runs after. To gaze on God's beauty is to stare intently at who he is. To gaze at something is to look steadily and intently to admire something with great thought. Remember the solar eclipse? Remember how everybody was just standing there? Hopefully with the glasses on so they didn't burn their eyes out, but just standing there. Why? It's because it's so rare. It's so amazing. It's like this is never going to, I'll never, my kids will never see this. I'll never see this again. Or a sunset. You ever seen like a beautiful sunset? Like one of those sunsets like this is a, this is like going to go down in the record book sunset. And you stand there and for a few minutes it just feels like time stops. You're just watching the sun go down. 
Or for you married men, when your wife walked down the aisle and you saw her. And you just take in the beauty of that moment. When David talks about gazing upon the beauty of the Lord, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about staring at the Lord, jaw dropped, just looking in awe and wonder of who he is. We need that for our souls. Our hearts need that. Because if we don't look at his beauty, we'll look to other things that are less beautiful. They're actually even false, things that are false beauty. They're not real beauty. They're, they're disguised as beautiful, but really they're filthy inside, if you know what I'm talking about. If we don't stare and gaze upon his beauty, our hearts will look for it somewhere else. Psalm 52 says that God is the perfection of beauty. Isaiah 28.5 says he is a diadem or a crown of beauty to his people. But David doesn't stop at looking at God's beauty. He says, I want to hear your voice, God. I want to hear your voice. I want to inquire in your temple. And life, life is full of inquiries, right? I mean, we're always asking each other questions like, hey, how was your day? What's for dinner? What'd you do this weekend? How was Thanksgiving? Hey, I'm thinking about this girl. What do you think? Hey, I'm thinking about this job. What do you think? Inquiring in God's temple is David simply saying, God, I want to hear what you think. I want to know what you feel. I want to hear your voice. God, I want to know who you are. Inquiring in his temple is simply asking God and expecting a response. Life is a constant inquiry. And uh, it's meant to be a part of our relationship with God. And I, I can, I know people say to me all the time, like, man, hearing God sounds awesome. How do you do it? Like, is it just, is God just like, Dylan, go buy some bread and eat a sandwich? <laughs> yes, he is. Yes, he is. No. Uh, yeah, I've never heard the audible voice of God. Never in my life. But I, I think I hear God all the time. Those gentle whispers, those little nudgings. But even more than that, this book. I mean, 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul writes to Timothy, this young pastor, and he says, all scripture is breathed out by God. Every single word in this book is breathed out by God himself. What, what does God's breath have power to do? It has power to give life, right? I mean, he takes Adam from the dust of the earth. I don't know if you know this. We came from dust. We will return to dust one day. Uh, kind of cool, kind of sad. Uh, he takes Adam from the dust of the earth, he forms him into a man, and then he breathes life into him. Every word of this book is breathed out by the mouth of God and is continually being breathed out by the mouth of God. That means every time you read it, it not only does something in you, it does something to you, it's shaping you, it's forming you, and it's giving us life. Check this out. Come, everyone who thirst. Me just reading that to you just gave life to you. Every time we read it, even if you don't feel like it. I didn't feel anything when I read that, but it was doing something in me. As Hebrews chapter 4 says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Every time we open it, every time we read it, it does something to us. It's powerful, it's living, it's active. Why not dig into it with all of our heart? Why not memorize it and learn it and meditate on it? Why not study it? Why not sink our teeth into it more than we do anything else in life? It's God's very word to us. If you want to know what God thinks, what God feels, how God acts, how to know him, how to walk with him, how to please him, look no further than the pages of that book. You know, David talks about the temple. That's something we don't have anymore. We can't go into the temple of God. Unless you have an elevator to get up there, I can't go into the temple 
of God. But you know what Jesus told us? He told us that the temple is no longer a place, but the temple is a people. He said that we are temples, everyone who trusts in Christ, that we are temples of the Holy Spirit, which means that God lives in every person who calls on the name of Jesus, which means that if you want to get in God's presence, it's as simple as praying, Holy Spirit, I know you're in me, awaken my heart to the fact that you're here, but also it means getting in the community. It means getting around other people who have his presence. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. He's here right now simply because we're together and we're calling on his name. God said to the Israelites who were exiles in Babylon, he said, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Charles Spurgeon, last time I quote him today, I promise, he says, desires are only seeds which must be sown in the good soil of activity, for they will yield no harvest otherwise. We shall find our desires to be like clouds without rain, unless followed up by practical endeavors. Here's what I know. I know every single one of us has the desire that God would be number one in our life. That every single one of us has the desire that we'd have a robust, life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. But I also know that some of us don't have that. We have a desire, but we don't have the experience of that desire. The gap in the middle is the discipline to put that desire into practice. We have the desire, but we don't have the experience of that desire. We don't have the delight of that desire because we haven't disciplined ourselves to experience that delight. I want to invite each and every one of us in this December to experience the delight of a walk with Jesus Christ. And for you, that may mean you need to get some other believers in your life. Like, you've got to get in community group. For, for you, it may mean that you, you know, like, man, my devotional life is non-existent, or if it is, is existent, it's not that life-giving. And I just want to invite you in to discipline yourself to delight in Jesus. It may mean taking the first 20 minutes of your day and just carving that out as, you know what, I'm just going to take the first 20 minutes, I'm just going to read. Maybe in December you read through the book of Isaiah, it's all about Jesus. Maybe you read through the book of John, it's all about Jesus. And just a chapter a day, you just read through and you say, God, show me Jesus. God, show me his love for me, show me the life that he, he came to give me. Open my eyes to what this book of John says about Jesus, maybe take just the first 20 minutes every day through the month of December and do that. And if you miss a day, no condemnation. Don't go there. Just get back in the game. Get back in his word. Let him speak to you. Let him give you life. Because I believe he wants you to know the joy of having your one thing be Jesus Christ and him alone. He wants you to be in his presence, to see his beauty, to inquire in his temple this December. You know, we as... uh, Staff, we've put together all these different Advent uh, devotionals and materials. Steve Miles, our location pastor in Washington, he, he created this whole devotional for, for us to go through for this single purpose, that December would not be wasted in chaos, but that December would be about seeking the face of Jesus Christ. Let's go for him, church. And if we do, I mean, think about that. Think about a community of people who didn't waste their December, but got filled with the love of God and had their face set on Jesus Christ, that Christmas would actually be known for what it's really all about. Will you stand with me? I want to pray for you.